Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter 22. And I tell you, the cloudy, overcast skies. We're singing well, but this seems like everybody's kind of blah this morning. And I feel that way a little bit too. Part of it's the week and part of it is just the weather. And so we're, I'm preaching about Abraham. That's why I was really thinking about maybe we needed to just do a little Father Abraham here for a minute and get everybody moving. But I won't do that to you, I, I just. Uh, and so uh, Genesis chapter 22, as we kind of turn our attention back to uh, our theme of spirit and truth. And so when you talk about spirit and truth in the context of it and where we brought this in the message a couple of weeks ago from the one at the well, we'll tie that in here in just a moment. But when we pick up here in Genesis 22, he starts off and it came to pass uh, after these things. And so what things? So in Genesis 21, Genesis 21 is, is a considerable length of time. So just in that one chapter, you have the birth of Isaac at the beginning of the chapter. Then you have the expulsion of Ishmael uh, and God dealing with all of that. And then you have Abraham now sojourning in the land of the Philistines and Abimelech comes and uh, they make a covenant, but they're in need of the covenant and how they're going to deal with one another because Abimelech's servants have come and taken a well that Abraham has dug and they took it by force. And so then Abraham has to deal with that. And so they're here and they're making a covenant. And then when you get to the beginning of Genesis 22, uh, if, 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 as you know or as you're seeing now, you get into God coming to Abraham and telling him to sacrifice Isaac. So we've gone all the way in one chapter from the birth of Isaac to the sacrifice of Isaac. We don't know exactly how old he is, but uh, we know that he's somewhere probably in his late teens or early 20s. Uh, and so as we look at, at the timelines there. So just that's when, he, when we start out here understanding what's going on, what's, what's been taking place uh, for the last 15, 16 years. He's been sojourning here in the land of the Philistines. He's dug a well. There's been problems with neighbors. They've kind of resolved that and made a covenant together. He's watched Isaac grow. Ishmael's been ex expelled and uh, as you know, God's intervened and taken care of him. Uh, and he's, he's clearing out the path that, and making the point that Isaac is whom my promise to you, Abraham, will be fulfilled. As far as my covenant with you is concerned, he is your only son. He is your only begotten son. Uh, and so and we see a very clear picture of God the Father in this passage as we read the text here in just a second. Abraham gives us a very clear picture of the of the of the heart and the and the feeling of a father sacrificing his son as God the Father sacrificed the Lord Jesus Christ and also the willingness of the sacrifice in Isaac on our behalf. This is this is a crystal clear picture of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in the Old Testament and uh, and we're going to deal with it more from the standpoint of worship. Uh, but you have to understand the sacrifice that's taking place uh, here in order to really understand that. And so as we begin this morning, chapter 22, verse number one, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. Now when he says he tempted Abraham, he's not tempting him in the sense of trying to get him to sin. We read the word tempt and we think of it in those terms. James chapter 1 gives a, a, a good indication of what he's talking about. In James chapter 1, he tells us that count, be, you're blessed when you fall into diverse temptations. 
different kinds of temptations. In other words, trials or tests. The word tempt simply means test. But he also tells us in that same chapter that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we know that in the nature and the character of God, that God, it's impossible for God to tempt him to do evil or to sin. So that's not what it's talking about. This is a test of Abraham's faith. This is a test of Abraham's love for God. And so Abraham's response when God comes to him is, here I am, in verse 2. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. And on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So Abraham here is expressing, we are going to worship and we are going to come back. We are going to come back. He's expressing great faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll get to that much later in the message, tells us what Abraham's believing in his heart by faith. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, or the Lord provides. As it is said unto this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called, upon Abra called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and is the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess all the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And I want to speak this morning just very simply on worship, the worship of Abraham. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it would impact our lives this morning. May we hear, may we be ready to receive, may we be obedient if you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look here, and again, looking to our theme, worship. 
we're talking about in spirit and truth. And really the point that I want to drive home in our heart is the idea that worship is not simply something that we do when we come together in a public service like we're at this morning. We have the idea that we're going to worship the Lord at church. And we are. It is a worship service, especially on Sunday morning. Wednesday night is more of a Bible study. Uh, Sunday night is worship. It's also kind of family time. Uh, at times, if there are issues that, uh, as a pastor, maybe I need to address in a, that's going on within the church, I'm, I'm going to opt to deal with those kind of things more on a Sunday night. Uh, and so Sunday morning is really wired and geared toward just worshiping the Lord together. But I'm going to tell you this morning, if the only time that I worship the Lord is on Sunday morning when I come to church, I'm not, I am not capable of biblical worship. Amen. Worship is not something that I do on occasion. Worship is made possible by the way that I live my life from moment to moment. My life should be in worship mode from moment to moment. Now, I don't mean that I'm going through every life. Uh, every minute of my life, preaching to myself in my head or listening to preaching or, uh, you know, singing a particular song or a particular type of songs or things of that nature. What I'm saying is the time is that we must worship in spirit and truth. If I am not living in the spirit and by the truth, I cannot worship even if it's time to worship. Abraham is living a life where he is the friend of God. He is walking with God minute to minute, day by day. There are select times when he stopped and he's built altars and he's worshipped. But I'm just telling you this morning that, that my life should be such and your life should be such that at any moment that I stop, I should be able to worship and praise my God. And my life should not detract from that. I should be in a perpetual uh, state of relationship with my Father in heaven. And if I'm going to do that, that means that my life is purged from sin. It's free from sin. When I do sin, I get rid of it as quickly as possible. Uh, the Bible tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, and so how is this possible? And that's simply it. If I'm going to worship in Spirit and truth, I must walk in the Spirit. That means I'm deferring to his leadership. I'm deferring to his urging. I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that he's impressing my heart, that he's guiding me, that he's leading me, that he's directing my path. And I'm listening for his voice, not just when I come to church, not just when I sit down to read his word, but in every moment of life. If I'm at the store, if I'm pumping gas, if I'm, uh, if I'm, at an arena, at an event, or something of that nature, I should be allowing the Holy Spirit to impress upon my heart. Why? Because in that moment, there may be someone that's there that needs to hear a word from the Lord. And if I'm not listening, when the Spirit of God says, I need you to go speak to that person, I prepared them, they're ready, I brought them to this place for this moment, then I'm not in worship mode, then I'm going to miss an opportunity. Abraham lays out here, worship. And in verse 5, he tells them, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again. So when we talk about worship, what are we talking about? Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about spirit. We're going to talk about truth and what those things are and how they uh, come together. Worship, uh, this actually is the very first time that the word worship is used in the scripture. It's a pretty amazing thing to me to think that we're 22 chapters in. We are through the creation, we are through the flood, we are through uh, probably 
1,500 years plus of human history from the Garden of Eden. And, and it's the first time that the word worship is, is used in the scripture. It's not the first time that man is worshipped. It's not the first time that Abraham is worshipped. But it's the first time that the word is described, uh, that is used to describe the act that's taking place when they make sacrifice, when they submit and surrender themselves to God <coughs> and come together. So it's the first time it's used is here in verse number five. Worship simply defined, and we've been through this a couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to belabor the point, but it is simply to bow down in reverence or to show reverence and honor with a love that's so powerful that it commands my extreme submission and obedience. If I'm worshiping God, I'm holding him and exalting him up high. I am adoring him. And even if he's my friend and he is, I'm still not forgetting that he is God, that he is almighty, that he is on his throne. And I come humbly bowing down before him and my love for him is so great that all I care about is honoring and pleasing him. And whenever he gives me a command, it is not, a, it is not something that I do begrudgingly or should do begrudgingly. It's, it should really be uh, your wish is my command because my love for you is so great. When, when we see that laid out here, Abraham exemplifies that. And again, the text gives us a powerful picture of Christ. We see, uh, we see that the sacrifice of a father. And, you know, I'm, I, I look at this and I, my mind kind of goes funny places sometimes whenever I put, interject myself into being in, the, in this place. If I, if I were to interject myself as a, as a fly on the wall or on the log, if you will, uh, at this scene whenever God shows up and when God shows up atop Mount Moriah uh, and I'm just there as, a, as an, an unknown observer and I'm, I'm kind of picturing the heaviness of Abraham's heart even though he obeyed. I can't imagine that he went up Mount Moriah with joy. He did go up with great faith, but he still didn't know how it was going to go. And even if I believe, as Abraham does clearly, and as recorded for us in Hebrews 11, uh, and we'll look at that later, but even if I believe in my heart that if God requires this of me, he's going to raise him from the dead. It's still going to be with a very broken heart that I stretch forth my hand and cut the throat of my own son. And then imagine as he prepares and Isaac, I don't know if you noticed, but whenever it's time to go up, Abraham gave Isaac the wood to carry as the father gave Jesus the cross to carry. And so here they are going up and God's at work and he's working and providing a substitute and all of this coming together. But all Abraham knows at this point from a picture standpoint is God told me to do this and I love him so much that I, I, he doesn't even question. That's mind boggling. I mean, if I'm Abraham, even if I think that I've obtained Abraham's level of faith, my first response when God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, who all my promise to you is wrapped up in. I've made that very clear. And I want you to take him up this mountain. I want you to offer him a burnt offering. My first response is going to be, say what? Did I hear you right? Not just because I'm losing my hearing either. I think even if I could hear clearly, uh, like I did several years ago, I would be like, what'd you say? I, I, there will be some kind of question. But there's no question from Abraham. 
There's just immediate preparation, immediate submission, immediate surrender to the will of God. And I, Abraham has to have a heavy heart here. And I can't help but imagine that even as God sent Jesus to this earth and watched him go through what he went through in Pilate's hall and carrying that cross and knowing that he was going to be raising from the dead, still that the Father in heaven watched with a broken heart as his son suffered what he had to suffer. I can't imagine as a father, maybe he didn't, but as a father, I can't imagine watching my child that I love go through that and not, not being in anguish for them. Now, Abraham doesn't share that with us. We don't know really, but we do know is this. The sacrifice of a father, the submission of a devoted son, the provision of a substitute, salvation through faith. The gospel is here and God is worshiped. And as we look at this, we see that he is truly worshiped. John chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24, really our theme verses this year. And Jesus tells the woman at the well, but the hour cometh and now is. When true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The fact that he makes the distinction, true worshipers, tells us that many people that worship are not truly worshiping. Not worship according to man's definition, but worship where God is accepting and, and identifying his worship. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My friends, what we need to be this morning is a church and be becoming a church that is truly worshiping our Father in heaven in spirit and truth. Not just as a church body, but as an individual believer in Christ. So, Pastor, but you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the burden I carry. Maybe you're right. I probably know and understand better than you think I do. Especially if you're newer to the church and you just, you just see the pastor the way that he is now and you don't really have any knowledge of what my childhood was like or what upbringing was like or how God brought me to this point and many others in our church the same way. It's easy to sit back and say, well, yeah, just look, they, you know, they're here and they're, uh, they're, they're you know, consistently stable and all this. You just don't understand what I'm going through or what I've been through or what's happened to me. Even if you're right, Jesus knows. God knows. And there's all kinds of things every Sunday when we come together represented in this room. And that burdens that people carry that, that, that people just are unaware of. Last week, this week, you know, during the revival meeting, Brother Buck was carrying the burden of knowing that his brother passed away this week. Waiting until he could go. Ms. Debbie carries a heavy burden this morning. Brother Paul went home to be with the Lord last year tomorrow. There's a young man in the back that came this morning whose uh, brother in January was shot and killed. There are a lot of people that, and there are other tragic things, there are other things that have happened to others of you that are here in the room that you may not even be aware that I'm aware. But what I'm saying is, is that, that God knows and he cares and he loves you and he's made himself and has poured himself out for you and he's trying to woo you back and lead you through the difficulties of life knowing that no matter what you're going through Jesus cares for you he loves you he'll restore you he'll lift you up and he'll bring glory out of whatever tragedy you've gotten and experienced in your life if you'll let him so here we are trying to worship, trying to learn what it is to truly worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. 
If we would worship Him in spirit and truth, we must understand what true worship is. Abraham, according to Schofield, writes that Abraham went through four great crises in his life, in his spiritual journey. The first being whenever God came to him and said, I want you to get up and I want you to go that way. Not even going to tell you where, not going to tell you how far, I'm not going to tell you how long you're going to be on the road. I'm not going to tell you if you'll ever be able to come home or if you'll ever see your family again. I just want you to get up and go. Why is that a crisis? Because he had to leave his family and his country behind. It's a hard thing to leave those things behind. Those of you that are here uh, that were born elsewhere, abroad, uh, it, it, you may be grateful to be here and be in the United States, but, you, but it's, there's still something special about home. When we go to Puerto Rico uh, and we go to the, we, all, we never go there without going to Old San Juan. We never go there without going to Levittown and driving by the homes that my wife lived in whenever she was a little girl growing up and going and seeing things that they experienced, eating at places that she ate, the places that are still open and there, uh, and, and doing those things. Why? Because it's home. There's just something about whenever you're coming in uh, over Dorado and the plane makes that bank uh, back to the east and gets lined up to the runway coming into San Juan uh, where you look at and you can see the flamboyants and you can see uh, the canepa trees and you can see the other things that she saw and witnessed as, uh, as, a, as a child and that were a part of her child. There's just something that's sacred about the land of your nativity. The same is true for me whenever we just go up to the Dallas and Fort Worth area. When we moved back here about 10, 10, over 10 years ago uh, and we would go up to uh, Joshua and Irving, Corsicana and that area in Burleson uh, and I hadn't been there really uh, b with any frequency since I was in about the fifth grade when we fled the state. Uh, and. And when I go there, there's, I love living here, but there's something that there that's just, it's sacred ground. And Abraham had to leave behind sacred ground. But in exchange, he obtained a, a more sacred ground. But he didn't understand that when he was told to go, he just went. The second great tragedy that he went through was whenever he had to se separate himself from his nephew Lot. The one thing that he brought with him besides his wife out of this homeland was Lot. And they were intensely close. And he watched Lot choose the wrong hilltop. And he watched Lot move down into the city. And he watched Lot gain prominence within that city. He watched him change his beliefs and his, uh, and his priorities and his convictions and he watched him embrace a corrupt society, a society so corrupt that God would come and destroy him. It got to the point where even in the New Testament he's described as a, having a righteous soul but essentially he's a vessel of dishonor. And Abraham had to bear the burden of complete separation from a vessel of dishonor was, that was outside of his wife and his sons probably the person that he loved the most on this earth. The third tragedy that he had to endure was giving up his own plans for Ishmael. Ishmael was truly, before Isaac, his only son. And when Isaac came, God comes and says, I know, Abraham, that you, you, you've kind of concocted your own plan for how I'm going to bless through Ishmael, but he's not the one. And Abraham had to come to terms with allowing 
Ishmael to be separated from him and to go a separate path. That happened in chapter 21. And then we see this incident here. Sacrifice your only son, the son whom thou lovest. So Abraham's journey has been a journey that God has tested. But that testing has produced a great faith and has built in them an inseparable bond. And at that point, in this point in Abraham's life, a moment that even God identifies as a test. And when he says here uh, that God did tempt him, Abraham's love for God, his obedience to God, and his trust in God is so second nature to him that he does not even question what God told him to do. Imagine us being in a place in our spiritual life when the Spirit of God impresses something on our heart, whenever the Holy Spirit convicts us in a message, when we're out in public and the Lord impresses on our heart to uh, minister to this person or talk to that person or pray for this person, we don't even think about it. It's just second nature. We just do it because it's what we do. It's just our natural response. Imagine being at that point because that's really what Abraham is showing us here is that when God comes and makes such a tremendous demand of him that without hesitation, without thought, without question, he just by nature says, okay, Lord. And he gets up the next morning and he prepares the wood and he loads down the donkeys and he gets his guys and he says, all right, fellas, let's go. Where are we going? I'll let you know when we get there. Three days out, he sees the place that God's told them. Been traveling for three days. Abraham carrying that burden for three days that he's going to sacrifice his son. And then he gets there and he says, all right, you fellas stay here. Give me the wood. Give me the fire. Make sure we got the knife. Isaac, carry this. Let's go. And they're going up. For Isaac, you have to kind of think, maybe the light's starting to come on. Wait a minute, Dad. We came all this way. We left the servants behind. I got the wood. You got the fire. We have the knife. Isn't it interesting to wonder, did Abraham give Isaac the knife to carry? Where's the sacrifice? We're missing something. Did we forget something? God will provide himself a sacrifice. And if that's not enough, when they get there, now keep in mind, whenever Isaac was born, Abraham was already 100 years old. So at this point, he's somewhere between 117 and 125 years of age. And Isaac is in the prime of his life. He has just come into his strength. And he willingly, whenever it's time to be sacrificed, he builds the, Abraham builds the altar. I imagine Isaac's there helping find the stones and handing them over. All right, Isaac, come here. May have your hands. Yes, sir. May have your feet. Hop up there. Yes, sir. And Abraham, taking the knife, we think reached forth his, or raised up his hand, but the Bible says stretched forth his hand. He wasn't plunging it into his chest. That's not the way that they made sacrifice. They sacrificed by cutting the throat of the animal. 
by stretching his own hand across the throat of his son, laying the blade to his son's neck, and getting ready to start to draw it back with force. When God spoke up again and said, wait a minute, Abraham, now I know. Now listen, God already knew, but Abraham didn't know. And when we see this sacrifice, what is this? This is all in, in showing us true worship. How so? Well, I want you to see, first of all, the requirements for worship. He gives us in this text, and now listen, we literally could spend about a month in this one text and not cover everything here. I'm not going to, I just want to look at the element of worship. I realize there's more than that here. There's way more than that here. But I, I want to draw from this off of his statement that I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And I believe there are multiple things here that he shows us what true worship looks like. I want you to consider, first of all, in verse number one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. What do we see there? We see, first of all, that worship requires relationship. They have a relationship. My friends, if you don't know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can sing about Him, but you cannot truly worship Him because you don't have a relationship with Him. You realize that what we're doing here is for the church. It's great when people come to church. It's great when they hear the gospel and the preaching. It's great when they walk an aisle and trust Christ as their Savior. But that's really not the purpose and the function of this assembly. This is for the church. This is for believers. This is to come and worship a lost person, quite honestly, that comes in this morning and hears outside of me telling and explaining what the gospel is, really can't identify with anything else that we're talking about or doing here because they have no real relationship with God. Worship requires relationship. Listen, if you have a neglectful relationship with God, if you have a weak relationship with God, if you have a relationship with God that is anemic and that only cries out to Him when you have a desperate need for Him, you're really going to struggle worshiping in spirit and truth. Why? Because worship requires relationship. Isaac, he's just there. He's just there. He's dealt with all these things in chapter 21. He's going through his normal routine, and then God shows up and says, Abraham, I'm right here, Lord. It's like there's, there's not even a, he didn't, have to, he didn't have to knock a second time. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to like send someone over to tap him on the shoulder. Their relationship is real and it's, it's normal. He has a relationship with God. Secondly, we see in verses 2 and 3 that worship requires surrender. I cannot worship God effectively if my will is not surrendered to his. Verse number two. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. What is he doing? He said, listen, there's no way that, that is the will of Abraham to get up early, chop wood, load his donkeys, and go, out, go sacrifice his son. But he surrendered. You're God. And while you are my friend, you are also my sovereign God. And if this is what you've commanded, I'm surrendered. My will is surrendered 
to yours, just like Jesus' will was surrendered to his father's when he went up Mount Calvary. Just like the father was surrendered to his own will. Yeah, I wonder how hard it was for God to sit on the edge of his throne and look down at Jesus being brutalized on the cross and not intervene. Even though he knew it had to happen. He's, he's there and he's with all of that's within him. This is not something that he would choose to do. But he surrendered. Listen, I can never truly worship God until my heart is a heart to surrender to his will. Till his will is more important to me than my own will. To the desires that he has for my life and that he has and plans that he has for my family are, are, uh, are, are more important to me than what my own desires and plans are. Worship requires surrender. We see in verses 3 through 9 that it, it requires preparation. I'm not going to reread all that block of verses, but he packs the animals. He gets the wood. He gathers the fire. He gets the knife. They have provision of food and water. They've got everything that they need loaded in. What are they? They're preparing. When they get there, they, they load things up. They carry what they need up the mountain. They gather the stones. They have everything necessary to build the altar. There's nothing lacking. He has the lashes to bind Isaac. He's got everything necessary. Why? Because he prepared. He even prepared for the hard thing. The thing that he would not want to do in his heart, in his own will. But it was what God said, so he prepared. He made preparation. Did we come this morning to worship God prepared? Did we come hungry to hear from him? Did we come with our sin confessed? Did we come not, not excusing and covering our sin with lies, but just owning our sin no matter how brutal or how horrible it is and just saying, God, forgive me and fix me and allowing God to heal us in a way that we could never even believe possible. What, what is our, uh, our preparation this morning? Am I prepared to worship God? Or did I come say, man, I hope the Lord doesn't convict me too bad because then I might have to go to the altar. Do we come trying to prevent God from speaking to us? Are we prepared? True worship, my friends, requires relationships. It requires that my will be surrendered to his will. It requires preparation on my part to be obedient to what God's told me to do. And then the fourth thing we see is that worship requires sacrifice. In verses 10 and 11, he goes up and he stretches forth his hand and he's going to take the life of his son before God speaks up and the angel speaks up and stops him. Worship requires sacrifice. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies therefore a living sacrifice. I cannot truly worship God if I'm unwilling to sacrifice my will, my dreams, my ambition, my life for his pleasure and service. Genuine worship, worshiping in spirit and truth requires relationship. Do I know him as my savior? Am I walking with him in my daily walk and routines of life? Am I, is there a closeness with him? Am I surrendered to him? Am I preparing my heart to serve him? Am I making preparation for the things that he's given me specifically to do? Am I willing to sacrifice. Secondly, this morning we see not only the requirements of worship, but we see the immediate results of worship. There are some immediate results of our worship. In verses 11 through 14, 
And the angel of the Lord called him out of, under Abraham out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, and the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What do we see? We see, first of all, that worship resulted in an unbreakable closeness with God. Do you, do you think that Abraham ever felt any closer than the moment that God came down to that altar and said, wait a minute, stop. I have a substitute. You've obeyed me. You've loved me. You've submitted to me. You've sacrificed for me. I have a substitute for you, Abraham. In my mind's eye, it's almost like I can see Abraham and Isaac and God sitting there huddled around that altar, weeping together as that ram comes forth. I know that I can't say that. The Bible doesn't say that, all right? I'm just trying to picture the immensity of the moment. The bond of going through that kind of an event together. There's an amazing bond that happens between people when they go through tragic events together. You go back, and I love history, especially World War II history. And you read about tragic events where ships were sunk and, and, and people survived multiple days in the water. Or, uh, or they survived... Uh, other horrific events, and, and they were together uh, years ago. I, I preached a funeral for a Pearl Harbor survivor, and, and they had, until they were all gone, they had every year reunions and things of people that went through. And there are those things for people that, that just serve together, but then there, the things where they went through really tra tragic and difficult circumstances together, there's an, there's an uncommon bond that unless you've been through it, you can't understand. And in my heart, I just see God and Abraham and Isaac here worshiping this and the, the closeness that was created in this moment of going through this together. The second thing I'd like you to consider here is there was worship resulted in an unexpected provision. Abraham did not expect a ram. Really, Hebrews tells us that he expected resurrection. But while Abraham was being obedient, coming up one side of the mountain, God in his mercy and grace was leading a ram up the other side of the mountain. And it's amazing how we in our lives, when we just are obedient and surrendered and submitted and we're going through and we can't see what God's doing and we don't understand what God's doing and we don't know when, when God is going to come through at that moment, we can't see what God's doing on the other side of the mountain. But he's working. And at the precise moment that it was needed, the ram was there and the ram was caught in a thicket. You understand that rams live in the thickets? For it to get caught in the thicket would have been an uncommon thing. It was an act of God that it actually got tangled up because it, that, it's made to live in that environment. It didn't just get tripped up. 
Worship resulted in unexpected provision. It's amazing how when we're surrendered and yielded to God, that God comes through for us with exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, in a way that we have no way to explain or understand. Why? Because we just worshiped Him. Because we just loved Him. Because we just cared for Him. Worship resulted in an unshakable faith. If you want your faith to grow, you have to allow God to test you. Again, the verse in Hebrews, in chapter 11, by faith in verse 17, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and, he, and that he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Listen, he, he believed that God was going to keep his word even if he didn't understand how he possibly could. His faith was grown exponentially. So there are the requirements of worship, relationship, surrender, preparation, sacrifice. There are the immediate benefits. God's blessing, bringing me close to him. God providing for me in unexpected ways. God building my faith. And then there are, thirdly this morning, the residual results of worship. In other words, the long-term results of worship. What, is, what does worship produce in the short term? A closeness with God. A stronger faith. Provision in miraculous ways. What does God do in worship the long term throughout my life? Verses 15 through 19. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. What's he saying? Worship brought personal blessing. You want to be blessed by God? Worship Him in sacrifice and surrender. If I want God's power, if I want God's blessing in my life, I must worship Him in spirit and truth. I must worship Him in the way that He has defined and expressed worship to me. What does it bring? It brings personal blessing. What did Abraham get here? He tells us, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the blessing of knowing that your life mattered. Listen, he already was blessed financially because of his years of service to God, his obedience to leave his homeland. Abraham at this point is a very wealthy man. He's not lacking for any material thing. Everything that he could want, he has the ability to procure. But he's blessed. How? By knowing that his life made a difference. I've preached a lot of funerals over the years. I, I talked to my son's father-in-law, pastors in Canada. Most of them have been around a while. You know him. He's, he comes here from time to time. In 20 plus years of being a pastor, I think he's done like three funerals. In the same amount of time, I've done 50. And I've, I've done funerals that a room like this was packed out. And I've done funerals where there was no one there but me 
and the funeral director and maybe one family member. And in one case, not even a family member showed up. It was just a friend or two. There is something that is a great blessing about coming to the end of your life in your latter years and knowing that your life made a difference, that your life mattered. Abraham's blessing here is not more cows. It's not more goats. It's not more sheep. It's not more gold. It's not more silver. He had all that he could use and more. It's knowing that his obedience, that his experience made a difference. That his life impacted lives. That his life was used by God. It was going through the rest of his life. And listen, the next chapter, Sarah dies. He still has hardship ahead. But he goes through the rest of his life at peace knowing that what I went through wasn't a waste. What I went through was used by God. What I went through made a difference in the lives of others. His worship brought personal blessing. But his worship also secondly brought permanent blessing. Through you, Abraham, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Through you, through you comes Jesus. Through you comes salvation. Come, through you comes hope. Abraham would not live to see the 12 tribes. He would not live to see Israel as a nation. He would not live to see the great miracles of Israel. He lived with the promise of God and he died believing that God in time would do everything that he said he would do. But he went knowing that his life made a difference and that because of him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That salvation would be brought to humanity. That God and man would be restored. That it would be possible for every person that puts their faith and trust in the Messiah to have the same relationship with God that he had. You understand, Abraham lived a life where no one had a relationship with God like he had. There's no one else in his lifetime that the Bible tells us of that had a relationship with God that was anywhere near what his relationship with God was. But in Jesus, all of us can have the relationship that Abraham had with God. Worship brought permanent blessing. You want your life to matter? Long after you're gone, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord with a strong relationship with him. Worship with a surrendered heart and spirit. Worship prepared for whatever God lays in your heart to do. And be willing to sacrifice because it's required and God will bless it. Worship requires, again, as we close, relationship, surrender, preparedness, and sacrifice. But its results are immeasurable. Worship the Lord and be amazed at what great things God will do for you.